This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to the podcast. And today we have a special guest with us. She is one of the best AP U.S. history teachers I have ever taught with, Miss Katie Johnson. And I didn't even pay you to say that, Pete. Thank you. I, you did much. not. You did not. <laughs> um, so Katie's joining us today. Uh, I've taught with Katie in the past. I no longer do teach with Katie, but we, I've taught with her in the past. So um, she's joining us today because uh, she kind of had some beef with us, I guess. I mean, <laughs> yeah, isn't that how to start? Little, little, I don't think yeah. she was beef. She was just... Uh, constructive criticism yes 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 so after listening to our um great depression podcast katie reached out and was like how come you didn't talk more about eleanor and i was like well it wasn't a podcast on eleanor and she's like yeah but how can you talk about fdr without eleanor and i was like why don't you come and talk about fdr and eleanor <laughs> she's like fine i'll come and talk about eleanor so here we are yes so we're gonna talk about eleanor are you like a big fan of eleanor katie like um i am I mean, she's certainly not like the world's greatest person, but I I am an admirer of her. Uh, I think she's really I like pretty that. interesting. I oh, definitely, yeah, definitely the research and definitely for that time period, the things that she was doing. Oh yeah, way ahead definitely, of her time. Definitely, oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So I think what we're gonna do is um, we're going to start off just kind of background on Eleanor Roosevelt, just her growing up, her education, kind of family history, literally just like. We'll go chronologically. Um, and then from there, we'll hop into wedding day to FDR. And we'll talk a little bit about the marriage part. And then we'll get into Eleanor Roosevelt as a political American, like cultural figure, I guess. Okay. Sound good? Right? Yep. No, maybe. All right. So I, I think we should get started with talking about Eleanor's childhood. And the biggest bomb I found out, I'm sure you guys saw this. Her name was not Eleanor. Nope. I had no idea. It was not, yeah. She's yeah. I was lied that, right? to. Yes. Oh, if you were so, lied to, that's kind of an extreme there, Pete. I mean, I guess oh. no one no one talks about <laughs> it. You just, you just didn't research her enough. All right, stop it. Stop it. All right, all right. So, Katie, that's, what do you got? That's, that's why Katie's here. <laughs> yes. That's right. So, Katie, what do you got about her childhood? Uh, and by the way, what's her name? What's her real name? Her real name is Anna Eleanor Roosevelt. She was named for her mother. Hmm. Yes. But what did they call her? They called uh-huh. Uh, well, she went by Eleanor. Her mother called her Granny. I know because, what it is. I know because she was so serious and plain. She was a big disappointment to her mother, who was the <laughs> beauty of her generation. That Eleanor was also not like a beauty, not an outgoing, vivacious woman like her mother was. But didn't she call her plain? She used to call her plain. Yeah, yes. that, plain Eleanor's, and Granny. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 gonna mess up a kid. Yeah. Well, but that's not the rest of what would mess up a kid. I mean, look at her childhood. No. I mean, yeah, oh, don't get me wrong. She was born it's... to like one of the most privileged family. Right. Right. Yes. That's... Socialites, right? Yes. Yes. So. A lot of money. Um, you know, the way you look at it, she could she could have or actually not could have. She did, I think, had an awesome childhood from the perspective of wealth and status. But when you look at her childhood as from like parenting perspective, it, it was kind of tragic. Like, what do you got for us, Katie? Um, well, of course, her father was the younger brother of Theodore or Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah. And her mother was, of course, the renowned socialite Anna Hall. Um, she was the oldest of three children. And the other thing that I found was really interesting is after. Tennis. 
Yeah. Did you, did you see the tennis thing? Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. Go, go, go. <laughs> After her father's descent into alcoholism and Teddy Roosevelt's like heroic or I don't know, over the top efforts to try and help his younger brother, like he was at one point banished to, wasn't it Virginia? Yes. Did you come across that? Yeah. I did. Um, her mother, her, bro- her brother, Elliot Jr. and her father all died within three years of each other. Yep. The father, though, was interesting because the father, um, and by the way, just a quick side note where I totally interrupted you because that's what I do. I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, uh, the tennis thing, her mom, Elnor's mom's siblings were like the super known world tennis players. I right. thought that was kind of cool. But Eleanor's dad tried to commit suicide by jumping out the window in 1894. Right. And then he survives the fall. But then he supposedly he like dies shortly thereafter from having a seizure mm-hmm. that was from complications, I guess, from the fall. Um, so basically, he's the Eleanor's left without parents. Yeah. Okay. So the grandma point. is the one that raised her. And the grandma was was kind of the one that was like, all right, I'm going to make you into this socialite kind of person. Right. Right. Yep. And she was she never went to school until she was a teenager. She was tutored at home. And grandma had her hands full with these older uh, um, Eleanor's uncles who were alcoholics and her other two daughters who were older and not getting married. So there were four other like adult children at home besides little Eleanor and Eleanor's little brother who went by the name of Hall. And so she and the little brother were kind of an afterthought. When it came to teenage years, she was sent away to England, right? To study... In England, which apparently, from what I was researching, she was very, very popular at her school. Correct. Um, was it Allen Allenwood? Was that the name of the school? I think so. Yeah. I think it was Allenwood Academy. She went there at um, yep. fifteen. Yep. And then supposedly she was super popular, so she's in London. Uh, she also became the captain of her field hockey team. Yep. That was interesting. And did you guys know that at the age of fifteen, she was five ten? Yes, she was very tall. She was very tall. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I'm like, was Franklin taller than her? But like, you can't really tell because once polio, you know, obviously. Um, I think he was taller than her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five, ten is yeah he was 5'10". He was, he was over, I think he believe he was over six feet or just around yeah, six gotta, feet. Got to use the Google machine to figure that out. Um, so field hockey player, 5'10", doing really well when she's in England. And quite frankly, based on what I read, she... Also spoke numerous languages, and while she was in England, she learned to be fluent in French. Right. And she had no desire whatsoever to leave school. She, yeah, she, she was enjoying it there. there. Yep. yep. She loved it. And she had, no, she had no choice, though. So why was she recalled back? So she could come out in society to make oh, her yeah. social debut. Social yes. debut. Look at what does that mean, social debut? Yeah, I'm not really sure like, what that means. That, I don't, do they do those things anymore? They kind of do, because I've had students in the past who've done like cotillions and whatnot. And mm, yeah, yeah, okay. It, you know, it's it's basically that you're eligible to be married. You're put on the marriage mart for wealthy people. Interesting. I mean, I can't just imagine this, like a big ball and she's coming out and it's like, hey, but she was only about like 17 at this time, right? Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah. She said she hated it because the idea was that you were supposed to be there with people that were like your age. And she was so out, she was for out of the country for so long. She said that she actually felt like she didn't know anybody. So she was like awkward about the whole situation. 
And can I interject here that Alice, Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, you know, the famous one from his infamous marriage. Yes. The one who carried a snake in her purse and whatnot. Um, She was the exact same age as Eleanor. So she and Eleanor competed with each other pretty much their entire lives. So they made, yeah. So when Eleanor was making her debut, Alice, who is the daughter of the president, is making her debut at the same time. What? And Alice is so much more outgoing than Eleanor is. And like Alice used to pick on Eleanor, especially when she was first lady, she really went after her. So it was not pleasant at all for poor Eleanor Roosevelt. I, I did not know that. That's kind of she messed had a rough up. couple of years there, really. Yeah. Like her parents passing away, up. then going away. And then not it's exactly kind of the, uh, Very messed yeah. up. Even okay, so this is the thing. Society. So uh, this is the thing I don't understand, right? So in 1902, she meets Roosevelt. We, we know that much, right? Uh, by Roosevelt, I mean, because, you know, she's a Roosevelt. But she meets her fifth cousin. Okay, so uh, can someone explain her father's, this to me? Her father's fifth cousin. Yes. yes, but fifth cousin once removed. What the heck does that mean? I don't I know what that means. Do you guys know I, what it means? I don't I know what it means. I, it's I like know. that side of the family. I don't think they were related by blood. It was like I'm into, it was marriage. They were how, how they were fifth cousins what is once removed by marriage. They had met before. FDR's godfather was Eleanor's dad, Elliot. Okay. So, so Eleanor and FDR had crossed paths a lot as kids. They had played together a little bit at Hyde Park when they were children. But because of her tragedies and being in England, they really had lost touch. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So we're getting to know. So, I mean, by the way, I just looked it up. Once removed means generation, one generation apart. So fifth cousins and a generation apart. Okay. Okay. So we're learning something. Google. But apparently, so this is just so so our listeners know, this is when FDR is young, handsome. He doesn't have polio yet. He, he and, and, and Eleanor kind of hit it off. And his mother absolutely despises Eleanor. Right. This is like this case of like the bad in-laws. Oh, definitely. All right. So, so what's going on there? Who, who wants to, who wants to join here? Do you want to do that, Tom? No, go ahead. You're the expert. If <laughs> <laughs> I know a little bit more to me about it, I just know okay. she didn't. She didn't like him. She, but she she promised him to like break off the engagement, right? And he, right. He told yeah. her to the kind of a secret letter correspondence. Right. Well, I don't think Sarah, that's uh, FDR's mother, would have liked anyone because she was such a stage mama. Um, she, re- I mean, she really just wanted to keep FDR for herself her entire life. So she really resisted the engagement at first. She even took him on a tour or a trip to like the Bahamas. Someplace I saw that. There. So he could like cure himself from like falling in love with, with yeah. Eleanor. Yeah. Um, but once he and Eleanor got married, um, Eleanor tried to make Sarah into a mother figure that she had been lacking. And she really deferred to Sarah on almost everything, including raising their children eventually. And so Sarah... While she wasn't like Eleanor's best friend, really became a supporter of Eleanor in the marriage, which will come into play later on uh, during World War One. Yeah. I mean, the vibe I'm getting here pretty much from the start is that Eleanor was not in a happy marriage. Even when you listen and read her quotes about having children, she flat out said that she like really wasn't meant to have children. She felt like, ah. Uh, I don't know if I was meant to have children. She did not like to really be intimate with her husband. We know that much also from her own quotes. And at one point, um, the one of the sons actually remembers Sarah 
which is FDR's mother, saying to him that your mother only bore you. I am more your mother than your mother is. Right. Like yeah, she was basically saying like my life isn't even my own. Like the house isn't anything I. Well, that was that be. was the house thing. That's oh, yeah. they moved in yeah. with the mother in law. Yeah, yeah. Well, she bought Ish. them a brownstone in New York, and then she bought the brownstone right next to it, and had the walls taken down in between, so Sarah could go back and forth. It's nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. I try to tell um, the kids Sarah doesn't die until like 1941. If you look at the Pearl Harbor speech pictures, FDR is wearing a black armband. It's because his mother had just passed away. That Eleanor might have married FDR in 1905, but she didn't actually live with him alone without her mother-in-law until 1941. And then he dies in 45. So she never really had a marriage with just her husband. Yeah. Well, I guess we could get into this now. I mean, even when she was married to her husband, her husband kind of had a lot of side things going on there. Um, So she finds out fairly early that FDR is cheating on her. And this is, again, pre-polio. He was already cheating on her. Right. Right. And I believe the person he was cheating on her with was actually someone that was working for Eleanor. Is that correct? Yes, it was her secretary. That's what I thought it was, right? Yeah. So she finds these letters, she's made aware of it, and it says that from that point forward, and this is when they're still young, way before present, I remember the year, I'm trying to figure out what year that it was. It would have been during World War One, so it would have been like 1918, because it was before yes. Versailles. Yep, I just got that now, it was September 1918. Um, she unpacked his suitcases and she found these love letters, and that was pretty much, Lucy Mercer was the, the secretary. Right. And from that point forward, it was very much like a political partnership between the two of them. Yep. They lived together. But they were they weren't really, you know, your quote unquote husband and wife. Right. I mean, she had already had Eleanor had had six children in ten years. So between nineteen oh five and nineteen fifteen, she had six kids. I mean, she's the body's pretty worn out after that too. Yeah. One died, right? Franklin Roosevelt, nineteen yep. uh I think nineteen oh nine. Nineteen oh nine. So She's married. Um, he becomes uh, a politician. She's there. Also, another thing is that at one point, FDR wanted to get a divorce, but it was his mother that was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, you're not going to tarnish right. the Roosevelt name. You are not. Especially back then, yeah, it would be, it would destroy his political careers and stuff. Exactly. Divorced. Like, you're staying married. It, this is going to happen. But then once he gets sick, uh, I believe he got sick in 21, right? right. August 21 is the, when the first kind of inklings of this start based on my research he kind of basically wanted to give up like you know he realized the extent of what is happening his paralysis and and he's like i'm done i'm done with politics i'm done with everything and his mother more or less supported that based on what i found his mom's like you're right you should just kind of retire because you know it's almost like she was embarrassed by the fact that her son was now um handicapped but it was Eleanor, that was like, no, like you have a disability. It's completely fine. You got this. And supposedly it was Eleanor that told him to continue to push into and stay in politics, despite the fact that the mother-in-law was like, no, you should just kind of hide from everyone. Yeah. So that's kind of the vibe I got. I was thinking about these two twin tragedies that happened to her first his cheating with the secretary and then his illness. And when you look at Eleanor's life, like the trajectory of her life changes dramatically as a result of these two things. So I feel like 
you know, his getting polio is awful. It's terrible for them. It's terrible for him and the family. But it really provides an opportunity for Eleanor to go out and do more of the social outreach that she had already started to do during the war in her own way and affect more people. And um, she wouldn't have been able to do that had he remained a healthy politician because she would have had to keep playing the social wife. That's a good point. Because based on like what I found too is she started doing a lot of she started showing up at a lot of events in his name, right? Right. Because he couldn't like, go. Yeah. Because he couldn't go. Yeah. Right. And by I want some something I found in my research that by 1928 she was considered to be one of the two most powerful political females in the country. If you can in, uh, by 28 by 28. So, and that was before she even did like all of the things that she's really known for. Right. And that was right when he was about to become governor of New York. So she's out there doing all of this stuff for women's rights and um, children's rights. And he's, you know, getting himself ready to go. So it, you could almost say like he glommed onto her because she was a household name by 28. Nuts. Yeah, she was actively campaigning for people. Yeah, by then yeah. too. Yeah, she yeah, campaigned for, against yeah. one of her own. Co- she campaigned against her cousin, right? Yep, she did. Yeah, that was like a whole tarn. They tarn. They said she tarnished a name, Roosevelt name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she Roosevelt definitely... campaigns against another Roosevelt. But I'm sure yeah. that's an issue. Yeah. And, yeah. and we should also mention that Roosevelt. I mean, that's a political dynasty. I mean, that just that yeah, last yeah. name. Yep. And yeah. I, I think it's kind of cool that she was very much like, I'm gonna just beat to my own, you know, drum kind of like I'm gonna do what I want to do, and because I feel it's right, which right. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. So. What starts to happen here is it was 1930s, since we are growing chronologically. It was 1930s when her husband kind of really bursts on the scene, becomes president, you know, FDR, the president during the Great Depression. Correct. But this is also when things start to get a little controversial in her own private life. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, mm-hmm. With regards to, was it Lorena Hickok? Yep. Right. So that was a so supposedly again this has been disputed over and over and over again in books that are as recent as like two years ago, historians are trying to figure out really the the nature of this relationship between Eleanor and Lorena Hickok, who was once an Associated Press reporter, right? And eventually, supposedly based on these different notes and letters they found, Eleanor fell in love with Lorena Hickok, who was openly gay. Eventually, she leaves Associated Press and she gets hired by by the First Lady, really. She gets hired by the Roosevelt's. Yeah. Well, she became an investigator for a new, the New Deal. One new of the deal New Deal agencies. One of the New Deal programs, yeah. Yeah. But now, so of course, J. Edgar Hoover, who we really should do a podcast on because that guy was nuts. Um, yeah. He hated Roosevelt, obviously. And he particularly hated Eleanor because he thought that she was so unconventional, which was kind of going against his view of what America should be. So Jedgar Hoover of the FBI held apparently this really big um, file on her, I guess, right? Which had right. a lot of discriminating evidence. But to this day, there's nothing conclusive to say that she had a romantic relationship with Lorena Hickok. Like we don't know if it, was, if it got to that point. Eleanor also used to, did you come across this in your research, form like really unusual attachments to people? Not just no. Hickok, okay. but also there was a uh, state trooper whose name was Earl Miller. He was, I, he was a, um, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. He became like her private. Um, he was 
appointed to be her private bodyguard or something. Bodyguard right? eventually, right. Yeah. yeah. Right, and there were lots of rumors about the two of them, and then she helped him arrange a marriage for him, which didn't work out, and then there was another man at the end of her life, I forget his name, I could probably find it in a second, who she... Like she was quite old by this point. It was in the late fifties, early sixties before she passed, and she had an unusual attachment to him. So was he like much younger? Was that the yeah. one that was like thirty something years yes. old? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. They can pinpoint. Like no one can really pinpoint. Like what? Because that was the conversation that I kind of gathered from this. Is was she was she gay? You know, and we don't really know. Historians still cannot pinpoint whether she was or she wasn't. And that's going to be something I don't think you're ever really going to figure out. Unless, no, I mean I know they because, say there's letters and some letters disappeared, but even with that, like the writing, you're interpreting the same different. thing. You're, right. Yeah, if you're going to be able to see it how you want to see it, regardless. Yeah. So especially since no, you're interpreting, there's, there's no you know, real way that exists. I saw she was also really close friends, not like relationship wise, but with um. Amelia Earhart, right? Yep. yep, I saw that. Did you see she's that like, story? That like, yeah, they went to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. She got a uh, permit to be a pilot, but pilot, yeah, she wanted to, to be a pilot. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Yeah, so, so like these two like icons, you know, yeah. which is kind of cool. That's another one we should do a podcast on Amelia Earhart. There you go. Come on. So White House. This is where we really get to see. You know, we kind of talked about about the private, but this is really where we get to see the private. Yeah. I mean, the public Eleanor public Roosevelt. Face. Right. Right. So what are some things that she becomes really known for as like a statesman, I should say? Well, the one that stuck out for me early on was this, that she was the first lady to hold um, press conferences. Yes. Correct. So she, and that was like a big thing. Like think about like a first lady holding press conferences and she hold a total of what, uh, 348 press conferences total. Right. And did you see that? She used to, most of them, she required that the journalists were only women. Right. So it would ensure chance, yeah, that exactly. It would ensure that all these different NBC, CBS, and everybody else made you know had to have women on staff. If you want to go talk to the first lady, you got to have her staff. Um, She also had a uh, didn't she have some form of like a column in a local paper? She did. It was called My Day, and it ran from 1936 to 1962. Wow, that's a long running column. Yeah, and my grandma died in '62. Yeah, she did. Um, my mother happened to give me a box full of my grandfather's like clippings from World War II and whatnot, and in it was a My Day column that my grandfather or grandmother had saved. It was just like an average, you know, nothing special about it, but it was Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, it goes to show you how important she was to people. Yeah, and she donated all the money that she made from that to charity. So in one year, she earned $60,000 from writing, speaking, doing broadcasting, which is $1.17 million in today's money. And she wow. donated all that stuff. She donated it all. Because she also did commercials. That was right. the thing. I, I looked up that back then, if you were doing like a radio show, which she also, she was, think of like the podcast of its time. You had all these yep. radio shows and she would be invited all the time. And she never said no. She's like, oh, of course, I'll come on. And part of the thing was you had to like advertise. So she would advertise for like soap and typewriters and all these other things. Yeah. Like, you know, the first ladies like saying, you guys use this soap. And some people use that against FDR and they're like, hey, you know, your wife's just this is, you know, she's endorsing companies. And and she had to prove like, look, I don't keep any of this money. Like I am donating all of this to right. all these various charities, which is which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, and then she had a kind of, kind of like a love-hate relationship with the press, I would almost say, right? Like, oh, yeah. She had a lot of nicknames for her. Like, she was called like Lady Bountiful, like you said before. She's donating all this money. She was very generous. 
And then other times they would call her like the, the busybody and the meddler because she was always like listening, well, you know, what was going yeah. on and always had her. She always like, you know, um, FDR, even though I guess their marriage was different at this point, still really listened to her. She yeah, I think he like respected maid, her. Yep. She, he definitely oh, yeah. respected her. He definitely, but he owed his life to her. He admits that he admits that in a lot of his writings. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like if it wasn't for Eleanor, I wouldn't be alive. He would not have, you know, continued on. Like she couldn't turn him on one thing, which I think also is a legacy of, of on her part as a public figure. And, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about. And that is civil rights. Correct. Because he really wanted to make sure that he did not alienate any of the Southern voter. But he, base. Had to wor- he had to worry about that. That's his mindset. She was, you know, the first lady is in an appointed position. So whatever yeah. they do is kind of based off their particular wishes. And that was a huge thing for her. Right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't something Roosevelt could he felt he could do, or yeah. he wanted to do probably either. She, well, of course, there's the famous incident in 1939 when the daughters of the American Revolution wouldn't let um, Marian Anderson sing in their hall in Washington, D.C., because Marian Anderson was African-American and the hall, of course, was whites only. So Eleanor got the Lincoln Memorial for Marian Anderson to sing at and then resigned very spectacularly from the DAR. And then in 1938, before that, in 1938, she had gone to a meeting in Alabama. Yeah, the Magic City. That's awesome. I thought this was so cool. Yeah, so tell the story. Oh, no, you you got it. Okay, okay. So (laughs) she goes to this meeting. I just thought it was cool. It is. It's very cool. She goes to this meeting, and they're supposed to be talking about, like, you know, kumbaya kind of stuff, push push the country forward. Human welfare, yeah. Yeah. And it segregated one white side and black side. So she takes a folding chair, and she sits in the aisle. And they're like, don't you want to sit over here? And she's like, no, no, I'm quite comfortable right here. Thank you. Yeah. And they said like, because initially she, when she got in there, she sat directly beside an African-American associate and they're like, uh, sorry, man, but like you, you need to go sit in like the whites only section. But like no one had to, they said like they were afraid to arrest her. Yeah. Well, yeah. because yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's an arrestable that you, that breaks offense. That's arrested. an offense. But like, they're not going to arrest a first lady. <laughs> yeah. And plus she just kind of had that like demeanor too. Like you try, yeah. just yeah. try. Yeah. You know? So when they when she's like she brought out this chair as you're saying, Katie, um, she had someone she asked for a measuring tape. <laughs> so she literally like you know now we're like six feet six feet COVID, but she measured this from the white section to the to the black section the aisle, and she sat directly in the middle. Right. And when someone said, "What are you doing?" she said, "She's sitting in racial no man's land. Like I'm completely content here." Which I thought was like, that's like so badass. I'm like, I, know, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but she else? continued this. She yeah. continued this like civil rights, right? Right. She did. Uh, she worked with Polly Murray and Mary McLeod Bethune. She really wanted to expand um, more New Deal programs for African-Americans because, of course, you know, like the CCC, you mentioned that one in your podcast. And you said that it wasn't very integrated. Like she really wanted to open that up. Uh, she wanted to. She worked with the NAACP and the Southern Conference for Human Welfare to end the poll tax and support an anti-lynching law, and she really helps get that famous um, uh, executive order passed, the one during World War II, where it says like the government has to can't discriminate against people. What order was mm-hmm. that one? Eighty-eight oh two, because she like badgered FDR. Until he would sign it. Yeah, I got a, I got a vibe. I just read a book not that long ago um, about them, and it, you really get that vibe that she used to just store because they lived in separate rooms, right? 
But whenever she wanted something, she would like storm across the hallway, like storm into his room and be like, Franklin, like you, this needs to happen. Like right. we need to do this. Right. Um, and there's some things that later on she looked back at, and this is way after FDR had passed, where she said she wished she would have spoken up more, but it was really outside of her control. One of them uh, dealt with the Japanese internment. Oh, yeah. Which she was openly against it, but she was actually told by the White House press secretary, like, you cannot speak about this. Like, you, you need to just support your husband. You cannot say And that, she, that made her furious. Mm-hmm. The other thing was when there was refugees from uh, Nazi Germany, Holocaust refugees, in one particular point, she helped lo- like relocate some of them, like one shipment of refugees. Uh, she was only able to do it once. She wasn't able to repeat that because FDR's initial stance, and actually kind of throughout the war, his stance on refugees was the United States is not going to admit them. And that was one of those things that she looked back at in the sixties. And she just said that she wished she could have done more right? Um, right. with regards to that. The one thing that I thought was really interesting is when, when we, cause we talked about this with Hoover, um, the bonus March, you know, the bonus army March that Hoover kind of messed up, which really cost him his presidency. There was another bonus army uh, protest of World War One veterans, right? In in 1933, and veterans of World War One once more march in Washington. Um, this is two years after their initial event, and a lot of people don't talk about this one as much, I think, because it didn't lead to anything infamous like the first bonus march. Yeah, they didn't start gassing them. Yeah, right. um, and what they did is they they send out Eleanor, which I think was so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And this was in the papers later, you know, it was like uh, Hoover sent the army and Roosevelt sent his wife. So right. oh, she just had that presence. She was like calming, but like respected. Right. Male, I female, mean, white, black, they respected her. As a woman, she was able to speak about women's issues and children. And then she was able to further apply that to, well, of course, women need better wages because they need to take care of their children. And she was able to use that mother's touch to apply to more things. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. crazy she literally like so showed up and she was like don't be angry it's gonna be okay and they're like okay (laughs) like crazy crazy um she was she was also very conscious of the press um did you come across what she did with food in the white house nope so what 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 is hoover famous for doing when he was president and how he lived in the white house he's a millionaire and like he was famous for having um you know he's thrown a lot of food out right yeah, black ties at dinner and like fancy, you know, seven course meals. And, you know, you have people starving in the streets. So when Eleanor came in, even though she's quite wealthy and she's always lived very well, um, when FDR started all the programs, like the food support programs, she an- installed this cook, not even a chef, just a cook in the White House kitchen and told her to serve exactly the same thing that the people on relief were eating in the white house so she was Mm. serving like ox tongue and parsnips like they were eating the same stuff that the unemployed were eating 
And people hated going to the White House to eat dinner. Like if you got invited to a state dinner, you did not want to go because God knows what you would be served by Eleanor Roosevelt because she didn't care about food. Ouch. Yeah. That social life. Yeah. Yeah, but but it looked really good to the public that here you go from one millionaire who's living high off the hog to Eleanor who's like trying to experience what everyone else is going through. Yeah. You know, well, that's going to make her relatable. That's going to make that's going to get the uh, the mm-hmm. points absolutely. That's why mm-hmm. Roosevelt probably supported FDR probably supported it more. Yeah, but when she was gone, he would order better food because he hated eating <laughs> parsnips and turnips and all that kind of stuff. Well, this, I guess you want to get into what, World War Two. Like, we, I was going to say, right? What did she do during World War II? You're missing the big. You're miss, missing two big oh, ones. From oh, the great sorry, sorry, go, 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 go. That's why we're here. Yes, 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 yes. I'm okay. sure you're missing a lot. I'm sure you're okay. missing. <laughs> so, in 1933, did you come across Arthurdale, the planned community in West Virginia? The thing that failed. Yes. Yeah, okay, so, so I, I did come across that. Like, supposedly it failed. But go ahead. Yes. I mean, I don't. I, I don't know much. It was from the Department of the Interior. The idea was to take these miners, like literally like coal miners who were starving and they were out of jobs and give them new places to live and to retrain them. So she got all behind this because she had been traveling all over and seeing it. So she worked with, is it Ickles or Ickles? How do you say his name? Ickles. Okay. She worked with him. And they redesigned or they designed this ideal community. Like they, she made sure that each house had a refrigerator and she helped pay for it. And it, it failed spectacularly. By the end of the Great Depression, it, it, the community had disbanded um, and got, because they just they couldn't support themselves. Well, the idea and, was the idea was that they were supposed to this community, kind of, kind of semi-utopian community. They were right. supposed to be self-reliant. Uh, and two things happened here. One, her idea was that this community was supposed to be all inclusive. But when she went to visit the community, she realized that it basically said all these white people that moved in said, this is for whites only. And she was like, uh, no, but there was such a big issue of this racial discrimination that she couldn't push the community to include African-Americans. So then she tried creating communities just for African-Americans, also in West Virginia region. And that didn't really work out because of the embedded um, prejudice and racism in the area. But also when she came back a little later, she realized that this like economic self-sufficiency was non-existent. That what happened to this community is that, yeah, they lived better lives, but it was costing um, like a half a million dollars, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like per whatever many months to upkeep them because they were not become self-sufficient. They were kind of living off the government, which went against the idea of the new deal program that her husband, which by the way, FDR was kind of okay with this at first. He was like, yeah, I support you do this. Um, But it went against that idea of like being self-sufficient, like new deal programs meant you work, you get paid, you put the money back in the economy, you work again. And these guys kind of didn't do that. They're, they very much just kind of lived in this little, area where they you know took money from the government okay what's the second thing i missed uh the she 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 camps did you come across that nope that's all you okay so you were talking about the ccc like my my grandfather participated in the ccc he was from michigan he was unemployed in detroit uh high school dropout they sent him up north and he planted trees for a couple years very popular very cool well she wanted something for women so she worked through the FERA 
And the the press called them the she, she, she camps because it was like the CCC, but it was for women. So get it. Hmm. And there altogether, there were about 90 camps that helped about 8,000 women. And unlike the men's camps where they took these guys out of the cities and put them into the countryside and they were like digging ditches and planting trees like my grandfather and whatnot, they were taking these women and basically doing summer camps these young 20-something, late teens women, um, they, these camps lasted for four weeks. Um, most of them were white, but there was a larger percentage of African-American women involved than there were in the CCC. And they trained them. They gave them education, like they took typing courses so they could become secretaries and stenographers. And mm-hmm. um, they taught them cooking and cleaning so they could get jobs Unfortunately, as maids, low paying domestic jobs, but it was something. Um, and so it helped about 8,000 women, like I said. For, uh, Secretary of Labor Frances Perkins, who you should definitely do another podcast on because she's awesome, uh, was a big fan of this. But it didn't quite take off as well as this, the civilian conservation because, like, what do you do with women long term? You can't, like, they didn't have the, the work, like you mentioned, you know, you work, you get paid, you put it back in the economy. They didn't have yeah. something like that, that women necessarily needed. Yep. So I thought okay. that was pretty cool. I'd that never cool. heard of that. I did not know that. I never heard mm-hmm. of that. Huh. I didn't know that it was called the she, she I remember hearing about it, but not the, I didn't know it was called the she, 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 I get it. Like the play on the CCC, but. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now we could go to World War II. We'll do World War II <laughs> and then years after, and then we okay. could be done. Uh, so World War II, I mean, I. I know for a fact that she visited, she was like the face because obviously FDR kind of busy running the war effort. And also because of his paralysis, didn't really travel as much, but she, she traveled travel for both of them. Yes. She I was, mean, she, yeah. was like, well, she wanted to join the Red Cross, right? At first. right. Well, she was in the Red Cross they, in the first war. So yeah. Yeah. And she wanted to join again. They said, you can't do that because if you get captured, that's not going to be like a good look if the president's right. wife is a prisoner of war. But she was, she was going to go to like Belgium. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Like, yeah, like, no, you help. can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> she did visit the uh, American troops often. Like they say she yes. was, she would have had some frequent flyer miles. Well, so much so that a lot of um, Republicans were saying this and she's spending too much precious war, war funds, like, you know, gasoline, stuff like that. Yeah. Her going on trips, she should, she should retire from public life. Right. When she, in 1943, she was the first presidential wife to travel to a war zone when she went to the South Pacific. And she had to yeah. travel on the Red Cross plane because of the Republicans. There's pictures wow. of there with um, Halsley. I've never seen something. Mm-hmm. There's one other thing that kind of sticks out from World War II, and that was the... Um, Tuskegee Airmen. Tuskegee Airmen, yep. Which some people like said that she was like credited for starting it, but it's that's not really the case. Um, no. She supported them. She supported them and kind of gave yeah. them some more credibility. Right. If she, they, they say that she, the, the African American chief civilian instructor, um, Alfred Chief Anderson, who was instrumental in starting the African American air unit, actually flew with her in like some one particular plane. And after she landed, she, she kind of spoke to the press and that kind of gave it some validity. I thought it was fun, kind of funny that she, when she publicly spoke out against Hitler and Mussolini, I think it was right at the start of the war. Did you come across this? Mm-mm. And then they like publicly ridiculed her as being really? unwomanly. Yeah. So like oh, please. she was being ma- made fun of by Hitler. I mean, please. how cool is that? that she pissed off Hitler. <laughs> I'm writing this article right now. <laughs> uh, it's, so the, the age group, it's, for, it's from like six to nine year olds, you know, this history magazine I'm writing. And, I, and I'm writing an article about Russia and Russian winter. And I was supposed to mention the invasions 
and I'm like writing it and I'm like, you know, when Hitler invaded and I'm like, do, do seven year olds know Hitler? Like, <laughs> and then if they don't, how do I go about like explaining Hitler in right. three words? Cause I need to move on with the story to a seven year old. Like, I mean, that's a dilemma it's, guys. It's, you got to admit. Like I said, my son is seven. He asked me the other day, what, what, are, what are the Nazis? I guess he saw, you know, uh-huh. he's watching like Captain America and they're talking about like the Nazis. I'm like, yeah. And my wife's like, you're not telling him about that right now. So I'm like, all right, well, someday. It's so <laughs> hard. Just bad people. Bad. Like I have older children and one of them will ask a question when we're going somewhere in the car. And like 20 minutes later, they know the history of the Democratic Party or something like that. It's yeah. so hard. I, I catch myself doing that as well. It was just, it's so weird. Like when you brought up Hitler, I'm like, how do you explain that in short sentence to a seven-year-old like uh, a bad guy I, I don't know that that's one of our tangents sorry anyway so what do we got what do we got all right so world war ii i mean again i think we kind of got the gist of world well, war she's, II. she's part of everything like if you really yeah, think about is. it during that time like she's she's talking to him after pearl harbor she's talking with she's helping him deal with um the entry into the war everything at the galta conference like she's there yeah, she was the assistant director of civilian defense during World War II. Didn't like, she do she, make a movie? I think she made a movie, like a, yeah. a women in defense movie. Yeah. Right? She yeah, was like, she was, yeah. it was, like she a was doing the, the PR stuff that really FDR couldn't really do. Right. Good point. Good point. So FDR dies. Wow, I dropped the bomb. No pun intended. Yeah. We're talking about World April War II. April 12th. Yes. She, I mean, this is a side thing. Pretty much every website you look at it tells you this, that it, Rose, you know, Eleanor was not near her husband while he was dying. It was actually her husband's mistress, um, Mm -hmm. Lucy Mercer, that was, yeah, super, super secret. Um, It was the mistress that was next to FDR uh, when he passed away. Um, And apparently that really upset Eleanor, mainly because their daughter, Anna, knew about this whole thing. Yeah. Like, wouldn't tell the mom that she knew that dad was still with this Lucy woman. And that apparently kind of put a little uh, damper on the whole mother-daughter, you know, weekend. <laughs> you know, whatever, go forward. But wasn't he so, sick too? I heard somewhere that he was. Like Roosevelt kind of knew this. You know, he was wasn't yeah, he doing had, well, and he, he kind he reached out for her to come back. Yeah, he did. He did ask her to come like, back. She's like, she's like, I'm, she's like, I'm too busy. Yeah, he really? knew he was in class too. Yeah. Like people, everyone around him was like, uh, "This guy's like a ticking time bomb. Like he's he's gonna go like any minute." Especially minutes. running for a fourth term and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they were like job. well aware that he was gonna go, but I didn't know that that he kind of asked her to come and she was like, yeah, "He nah. shout. She was like, "I'm too busy, Franklin." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of messed up. Well, I mean, what type of marriage did they have at that point? Who knows? Yeah, she was doing important had, stuff for the war. And he had betrayed her so country. many times. I don't blame yeah, exactly. her. Exactly. Yeah, I get you right. He got his mistresses. It's not like, like he was. She's like, no, I'm good. Well, that's another thing. He's like, oh, I'm going to call my mistress instead. And to be honest, Jane- she might not have known he was actually going to die. Like, yeah. right. Okay, so he dies, but Eleanor's not done with her public life yet. No. So first of all, she helps out in the creation of the very first ever presidential library, I believe. Right. Right. Yeah, setting the precedent for all the future ones. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Franklin Delano's Presidential Library and Museum. As we just said, they didn't have a greatest life together, but she didn't tarnish his reputation one bit. She kind of did her, you know, like due diligence and made sure well, I'm that. I'm sure she, she understood how people saw him in yeah. the country. 
She was a little peeved at him with his funeral arrangements, though. Did you come across that? No. I saw that he wrote a bunch of stuff down, but... Yeah, he... Well, first of all, he was when he was buried, his coffin didn't have a bottom to it. So, because he wanted to return to the earth, he wanted to be like recycled, you know. So, if you go to, if like I've been to Hyde Park, like you can go and see his his burial stone and everything, and he's there, but like he has been, yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? He has been uh, composted, absorbed, absorbed. Yeah. yeah, become one. Yeah, get out uh, of here! I had no idea. Yeah, she didn't have a problem with that, but he just assumed that she would be buried with him, and she really wasn't too excited about that. Like he just was, he just was like, "Yep, you're going to be buried right here next to me." And she's like, uh, <laughs> "And that is what happened. I mean, they did bury her next to him." Yeah, right. I mean, and but they were more like, I mean, how would you describe that? It's not a marriage. I mean, were they friends? I assume they. I think they were. I mean, they obviously had six kids together. I think they respected one another. Oh yeah. I just. I, I don't know. It's a, it was a weird arrangement. And even what you mentioned the presidential library, like Sarah had always been in the house in a Hyde Park. It was her house. And then FDR got it after she died in 41. So it, like Eleanor didn't really like living in Hyde Park because she was living in her mother-in-law's house. She couldn't put a picture up where she wanted it kind of yeah, thing. Good point. It's, so he had bought her a piece of land nearby and built her a house called Val Kill. And yeah, when they would that. go to Hyde Park, she would go and live at that house. So after he died, she never, like, she might have spent a night or two there, but she lived in her own house. She didn't live in the Hyde Park mansion. I wonder, you know, I really have to look in papers. Like, is this something, because today, I mean, the media would be all over this. Right. Imagine, oh, yeah. right? I mean, oh, president yeah. and the first lady just don't live together and they're, but like, I feel like back then, it's almost like people like did people know that this was the type of marriage they had, or I think it was pretty well known to a certain extent. I think the people inner circle people knew it. They were probably press people that knew it. it just oh, yeah. was, I mean, they knew he had polio. They just didn't advertise it. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was never he's never seen. I mean, yeah. Like it was just it was just they respect the office. They respect the individual. They cover that stuff up. Nowadays, right. that would not work. It'd be all over the place. Yeah. That's what I mean. Crazy. So after he passes, uh, he passes away. Um, she kind of moves into her own house. Uh, she kind of gets an assignment right away in, in December of 1945 from the new president, Harry S. Truman, who appoints her as the delegate to the brand new United Nations General Assembly. Yeah, she, and she's a big player in that. Yeah. Yeah. First chairperson of the preliminary United Nations Commission on Human Rights. Right. Uh, she remained that chairperson for like a year, a little over a year. And they said that she played an instrumental role in drafting the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I saw that on like three different websites. And I'm like, what does that mean by played an instrumental role? Well, she can help get it passed. Yeah. yeah. Well, the committee that they put her on, I read in this book that just came out this year, that they put her on was meant to be just kind of like for show. Like, oh, we're going to put her here. We don't really expect her to do anything. And she turned it into something from fluff into the the committee that, you know, wrote the Declaration of Human Rights. Like she made it what it was. Uh-huh. She's like, no, 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 we're going to do something here. We're going to we're going to write this up. We're going to actually make something credible. They said that it directly inspired the development of international like human rights law and was the first step for the formulation of the International Bill of Human Rights. Right. Um, that came into force in 1976. Something else that always really struck me 
um, even before Hillary Clinton ran for president in 2016, and was that in the 1950s, she was considered a viable candidate for president, like in the 52 election or the 56 election, like her name was thrown out there. And Harry Truman even said that he would have accepted her as his vice president. Like it never occurred to anybody to say she couldn't do something because she was a woman. It was, she was Eleanor Roosevelt. Of course she could be president. All the politicians wanted her to like endorse them. That was the big thing for really the rest of her life. if If you got her endorsement, that was a huge well, look at know, Kennedy. Like awesome. she didn't like Kennedy, but she did no. not like Nixon. So no. they, they said the only reason she was like, all right, fine. You guys should vote for Kennedy is because <laughs> she did not want Nixon. Um, right. And that was like huge. And he right away was like, oh, this is great. And he like appointed her Peace Corps. Right? Wasn't she like on the National Advisory Committee for Peace Corps? Um, or women or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then something that some kind of thing for for women that she, she there was. um Presidential Commission on the Status of Women. That's what it was. Yeah, she did that towards the end. Yeah, that was right at the end, right? That before yeah, he 19, passed. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. she passed away in '62. Yeah, but I mean, the United Nations was kind of a big part of her life um, after after FDR. Served right. um, so as the first United States representative to the UN Commission on Human Rights. Um, stepped down as chair in '51. Then she's awarded like Human Rights Prize in, in 1968. I read somewhere, I can't find now, that she was awarded like the FDR prize for something. And I'm like, how weird is that? That she was <laughs> awarded a prize named after her. I wonder if she liked that, that or not. Like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She was probably like, oh, great. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> um, she did step down from the UN post in 53. And apparently uh, that happened when um, Ike became president. And she did not want to. I mean, I didn't know if there was any bad blood between the, um, the Roosevelt's and Ike. But I don't think maybe so. There was. Maybe there was. I don't know. I think it was more she just, you know, at some point she has to take a little break. Yeah. Right. See what else is going on. You yeah. know? So, first of all, she published a lot of books. Did you guys catch that? 27. Yeah. But I assume if you're Eleanor Roosevelt and you're like, hey, I want to write a book, like every publisher is going to be like, me, 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 pick me, pick me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Well, um, a couple of them yeah. came out after she passed away, too. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it was like Christmas books. Um, it was, I mean, I have to read one of her books. Um, what else? The it, This is kind of... I need to look more into this, unless any of you guys know this. So she, she died in April of... Um, not April. When did she die? 62. November? November 62. November 62. But it says that she was diagnosed with uh, anemia soon after being struck by a car in New York City. A car hit her in New York City? Yeah, she yep. was crossing the street and a man hit her and he didn't realize who she was. Get out of here. And she's like, she got up and she's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. And she had, she went to a speech that night. She, she kind of pulled what her uncle did, you know, after he got shot. He just kept speaking. So she went to her speech and made a joke about, you know, how she'd gotten hit by a car. But that kind of led down her getting sick, right? Because they had to give her... Um, That's what they said, did it? Yeah. When they gave her steroids that activated the uh, tuberculosis in her bone marrow. Guys, I just I'm looked it up. And it, it said, like, there's a picture of the car. Like, they hit her hard. Well, she got hurt. Yeah, she was hurt. You, you get hit by a car; it doesn't matter. Like, anyway, okay. I thought it was fun. You got any any fun facts? Before, well, I think she uh, passes away, and I thought what was I say fun facts that, when you say passing away. Well, I, no, no. I said <laughs> I mean, she, I'm, before we get to the fun facts, I'm saying, I thought interesting was that she passed away, and that um, Kennedy's the president. He orders all the flag to be lowered half cool. staff, but throughout the world, not just 
he actually says the world should put it half staff because yeah. obviously our hard work with the United Nations, not just, you know, the United States. You don't really see that, you know? Hmm. There's also something with her in the Bay of Pigs under Kennedy as a, um, administration. Well, they use, yeah, he asked her to um, get- Be like uh, a mediator, of, right? Yeah, mediator, get um, prisoners of war, captured Americans out, which it did work. Prisoner Crazy. exchange. All right, now let's talk fun facts. Do we have any fun facts about Eleanor Rose besides the fact that she was like 5'9 and played field hockey? She always carried a handgun with her. No. Yeah, because she refused Secret Service protection, right? Yep. After because she and she used to travel all over the place, and it drove the Secret Service crazy. And after his assassination attempt, right before he was sworn in, she was just she thought that somebody could attack him, and you know he was so incapacitated because of his legs that she was just horrified at the idea that she couldn't protect her husband. So she always carried a handgun. I did not know that. Isn't that cool? Like this she is, wants to protect the man. This is some intense lady. Uh, yeah, you don't mess with. She hits by a car, gets up, carry handguns. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Do you know that she received thirty-five honorary degrees? Isn't it more than he got? I think I read that. <laughs> Probably, I would say so. I mean, Oxford University. I mean, these are some like legit ones. They're just like you deserve yeah, this. You want to be associated with her, right? Yeah, and I think something cool. something that the kids always remark upon is like. Eleanor Roosevelt is not drop was not drop dead gorgeous, right? Like she was from the pictures, like she 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 didn't care too much about fashion. And, yeah, she didn't try to glam herself. Yeah. Right. So um, the newspapers, of course, picked up on that sort of thing. But when people met her, it didn't matter what side of the aisle that they fell on, they loved her. Like she had a way of putting people at ease. Um, I'm reading a quote or a book right now about Lady Bird Johnson, who was another very influential first lady that we don't think too much about today. And uh, the quote from Lady Bird says, as she did to many very young and very timid congressional wives, she extended her hand and hospitality to me and Washington was warmer. Like she went out of her way to make people feel at home. Wow. That's kind of cool. She's got a lot of cool quotes, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I would say my she favorite has a lot one of cool that you hear a lot is um, what no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's the one that kind of shows like, what her mindset was, too. Like, people would say things about her or, and she just didn't care. Like, she would, she's going to do what she wanted to do. Like, I don't right. feel bad about it. If I don't, if I don't allow myself to feel bad about it, it's not going to happen. That mm-hmm. bizarre. All yeah. right, Katie, you were right. We should have done a podcast. No, no, no. Once she said it, yeah, I was like, yeah, we guess we should have. <laughs> we I did mean, do one of first ladies. We did talk about her. We right? did talk about her a little bit, but I mean, you know, she got lumped in with a bunch of other first ladies. Yeah, like, with everybody else. You can't talk about FDR unless you talk about Eleanor. No, absolutely. Because there right. would be no FDR as we know it without her. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. And you, like, that's not an argument that you can't make. That's, that's, that's fact. That's it. Yeah. All right. All right. Fine, fine, fine. Um, I mean, I, I can't really beat at the handgun at all times. I don't have any more fun facts that are like. <laughs> she served the king ever. of England hot dogs. Did you see that? No, I remember hearing that. That's, that was one of those like History Channel things. You know, the, the yeah. history moments they do. I remember seeing it on that a long time ago. Yeah, the king and queen of England came on a tour right before America joined the war. It was to get American support for the war, and they go to Hyde Park and they have an American picnic, and. They she serves them hot dogs because what do you eat at a picnic? You eat hot dogs, and like the whole press corps was just waiting to see if the the king would eat this hot dog. Would he bite into yeah. it on the 
everything. And he did. He was, he, well, yeah. he, he didn't like it, but he ate it kind of thing. Well, he and, wants America's help in the war. You're going to eat a hot dog. Yeah, that's exactly what it <laughs> you was. You know what? You know what? Uh, eat that hot dog. Eat that hot dog. And you're going to like it too. Yeah. Oh my God. See? Okay. Those are some fun facts between guns and hot dogs. Do you guys win? All right. Oh, well, last one. Ha. This one's not as uh, fun though. Well, that her, that when they were, she was getting married to FDR, they actually mm. delayed the wedding. Oh, yeah, to, yeah. So it coincided with Teddy Roosevelt being in town because he was in town for something. So right. they like moved the wedding just so he could walk her down the aisle. Yeah, he, right. he gave her away. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's a fun fact. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that's it. That was pretty good. It's a good note. That's on. good. That's good. All right. So thank you so much, Miss yes, Katie thanks. Johnson, for joining Absolutely. us today. This was Absolutely. fun. Thank this you for having stuff. me. So the next one you're going to come and talk to us about is going to be your favorite topic in history that all your students know about. And that <laughs> yeah. is, go ahead, Chester, Ms. Johnson. You... Chester A. Arthur. Seriously, why? Okay, we definitely have to do a podcast on this because I don't understand we'll what. We'll say that. That's, that's a teaser. Right? That's a teaser. Because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no one even knows who Chester A. Arthur is. You have to remind people he was a president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Ms. Johnson loves Chet. Yes, I do. That's her president. That's her president. My my classroom is bedecked in Chester Arthur paraphernalia. I have a Chet T-shirt. <laughs> I even have a life size cutout that a student made for me of Chet. He's actually at home for the summer, and he scares the crap out of my husband every summer when I bring him home. <laughs> okay, we definitely have to have a podcast on Chet. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I and I was you saying gotta, this to you before. No, I was saying like, before I click record, I was saying this to you. I'm like, how is it that the first time you're on this podcast with us, we're not talking about Chester Arthur? All right, let's go to the next one. Oh, yes, yeah. well, it's gonna be the next one. It's gonna be the next one. But anyway, thank you so much, guys, for joining us once more. And I hope everyone has an amazing week. And if you need us, you could always find us at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. And I guess until next week. So thank you very much, guys. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.